If you've got your scriptures with you this morning or your smartphones, uh, turn over to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to be kind of looking at a section from Acts 6 and Acts chapter 8, so if you want to flip on over there, uh, we'd appreciate that. Before we get rolling this morning, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, to be here this morning is truly an honor, and so Lord, I just pray that you'll help us as we dig into your word to remember, as Jeff shared, uh, the people all around us who desperately need you. So, Lord, I just pray that they're heavy on our hearts this morning. And, Lord, we know that all things are possible through you. So, Lord, we know that there is no one that cannot be reached uh, due to your love and all that you've done for us on the cross. So, Lord, guide us and strengthen us. Lord, be with me as, uh, uh, Lord, as I just present your word this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I don't know if you're aware, but uh, May 20th is a big day for former Hoosier uh, David Letterman. Anybody know what's happening on May 20th? This is his last show. Uh, I know that's heartbreaking for a lot of you, but uh, Letterman years ago used to have a little segment called A Brush with Greatness. How many of you remember that? Anybody? Okay, so I'm going to ask you just to open up. Now, you can't share your story. We'd be here all day, but if you have ever encountered a celebrity, raise your hand. You've met a celebrity. So I'd like to hear some of them. Some, who'd, you, who'd you meet? Celebrity. John Mel, now come on, seriously, that, that's too easy. John Mellencamp. I've met Tom Ellsworth, big deal. You know what I'm saying? Okay. James Taylor. James Taylor. Can anybody beat James Taylor? Okay. The Dalai Lama. Oh, that's pretty, that's a good one. Yeah. Oh, you met a globe. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. Globetrotter? Yeah. Gerald Ford. Oh, can anybody trump a president? Nice. Yes. One more. Who? Ronald Reagan. Oh, that's going to be a tough one to beat. Okay. Okay, one more. One more. Yeah, October. Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong. Oh, that's pretty bad when that trumps all the presidents. But Louis Armstrong. Okay. In life, it's interesting when we have these encounters with celebrities, and we, it's interesting we'll say, boy, no, I've been in the presence of greatness. Years ago, uh, we had a, a Sunday school teacher at Sherwood Oaks, his name was Greg Flug, and he knew that I loved baseball. So out of the blue one day, he said, my family is really good friends with the Carl Erskine family. Would you want me to have Carl Erskine come and speak for uh, Sunday night at church? Now, most of you probably have no idea who I'm talking about. Back in the 1950s, he's with the Brooklyn Dodgers, okay? So anyway, he said, I've got it all set up. Well, we're going to have dinner. Would you like to come have dinner with Carl Erskine? And I, you know, I was like parked in the driveway an hour early, and I got to spend two hours with Carl Erskine. And th- again, if you don't know anything about baseball, here's what was awesome about this conversation. I said, do you mind if I ask you anything? He said, anything. So I was like, so you played with Jackie Robinson. And, and I went through the whole thing. Yes, I played Jackie Robinson. Tell me all these amazing stories. How did you pitch to Willie Mays? How did you pitch to Stan? Now, again, that was just for me. That was like being in the presence of greatness. Like, I can't imagine uh, what that was like, okay? Now, I can tell you as a minister what's interesting. Over the last 30-plus years that I've been in full-time ministry, that I haven't met very many celebrities, but i got to tell you something. I have been in the presence of greatness so many times you can't even imagine. I've been with teenagers that honestly completely blow my socks off with their faith and how they stand up for their faith. I've been with adults that have just consistently lived out their life every day with struggles, and yet they are just, every day they are showing up and they are getting it done, and they are so faithful. And I have been in the presence of greatness. I have sat 
at the bedside of folks taking their last breath. And I thought, this individual dying with so much dignity and passing on such an amazing legacy to their kids and to their grandkids. And I would be in that room and I'm like, I'm on holy ground. I'm in the presence of greatness. Our culture says greatness is all about celebrity, but I think everybody in this room knows that's not greatness. It doesn't matter how many movies you've made. It doesn't make a difference how many number one songs you've cut. That, that makes no difference. Are you sold out to God, and are you willing to be faithful every day? And when you start literally obeying God every day, great things are going to happen. And my guess is you've all been in the presence of greatness, and it's an amazing place to be. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about a guy who by no means, even in the New Testament, would be considered a celebrity, but yet I think there was greatness in this guy, and we're going to talk about why. Uh, we're going to talk about the man, and then we're going to talk about his message. And the man's name is Philip. So if you take your scriptures, turn over to Acts chapter 6. This is where we're going to pick up the story in verse 1. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples were increasing, and the Grecian Jews among them, they complained against the other Jews. The twelve gathered together, and they said, it would, be, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. So they chose seven men among them, full of the Spirit and wisdom. So I'm going to just tell you what's going on. Jesus Christ dies, the resurrection, there's this message of hope for the world. Jesus issues a great commission. His commission is to go to the entire world, make disciples, baptize folks, bring them to God, allow them to get deep into the Word, change lives. You've got you to spread this message all over the world. So these disciples, that's a pretty major responsibility. And so they began sharing this amazing story. And you know what happened? Thousands, not hundreds, thousands of people started coming to Christ because they realized this will change my life. This is the hope I've been waiting for. And then all these communities, just like what we're starting right here, started to gather together. And the disciples were like, oh, my land, we are a part of a runaway train. There's all these folks, and there's all these needs, and I feel guilty, and I can't do this, and, and I'm supposed to spread this all over the world. See, they didn't know what to do. And they gathered together, and they said, listen, what we're called to do is to spread this news and be willing to go wherever it takes, whatever it takes to spread the news. So we need to form and delegate a group who will organize taking care of all the needs in all these communities. So they started with seven. And they took these seven together full of what? Wisdom and full of the Spirit, and they said, okay, now, let's organize it so that these communities are going to be taken care of. One of those seven was a man by the name of Philip. Now, it's interesting, all the way back 2,000 years ago, so they, they raised up these seven individuals to take care of these communities. Eventually, that became a title that's in most churches that you've grown up in. Anybody know what that title is? Deacons. Deacons. That they're doing all these things behind the scenes that are Christ-centered, but they're helping out with the everyday needs. Now, let me brag on a group of people at Sherwood Oaks, our deacons. We have a picture up here of our men, and i got to tell you something that they do that you may not be aware of because they do this behind the scenes. They are so focused on reaching out to the widows in our congregation and widowers. And that's what they spend the bulk of their time is how do we help those that are struggling and the widows and the widowers. 
And let me tell you a personal example of how that really touched me uh, in my life. Uh, I had a family that I was working with, and this older gentleman, uh, matter of fact, I see Mark and Kate here, probably Mark remembers going calling on this family. His name was Bill Rohr, and uh, we were calling, and Bill actually had me come out and do his funeral ahead of time, like go through the entire funeral service. You talk about tough. So we're going through his service, and he kept mentioning John Barnes. He said, I got to tell you about this, this deacon there at Sherwood Oaks. He's here all the time. He's been with us for years. He's just there to help us and care for us. And I got a call from hospice. And they said, uh, John, uh, we, just need, we just want you to know that uh, we've checked Dad in. And, and um, uh, if you can come sometime, you know, when it's convenient, come on over. So, I, I mean, I was on the other side of town. I'm, like, busting it to get to hospice. And so I walk in, and I... I get in there, and there's the immediate family, and you want to guess who else was there? There was John Barnes and his wife, Cookie. And I'm like, that's, that's what a deacon does right there. And you know what else I thought? That's greatness. I'm in the presence of greatness. So when you read this about God chose these seven men to help out, I want you to realize, just like at Sherwood Oaks, this is a big deal. This role of a deacon is a huge deal. And so before I even move on any farther, I just want to pause and I want to pray for our deacons. So let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the men that you have raised up in our congregation uh, whose hearts bleed for those that are hurting, that reach out to our widows and our widowers and do everything they can to minister to families. What an amazing responsibility that is. And so, Lord, we lift them up. And we thank you that we have been in the presence of greatness when we're in the presence of those that serve you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So you get a little glimpse of this man named Philip. And you realize that this is a guy full of wisdom, full of the Spirit. And he's willing to go and share Christ in any way that God calls him. And he has a remarkable message. So turn over to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to start this story. And let's just start in verse 26, because this is critical. You may see in the heading there, it says Philip and the Ethiopian. We're going to talk about what that means. But in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Doesn't seem like a big deal. But I want you to remember what's going on here. He hears from an angel The angel says, travel south on a desert road, and even tells him when to go. Now, here's what makes no sense. Why would one of these seven that have been chosen walk down a desert road in the middle of the day? There's no one going to be on that road. I mean, this is the hottest part of the day, and yet he listens to what God has instructed him to do. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, who's not going to listen? I mean, if an angel shows up at our picnic today and says eat a hot dog, don't eat a hamburger, you're going to eat a hot dog. You know what I'm saying? If an angel tells you to do something, but here's the problem when we read this. Take out the word angel of the Lord and just put in the words the Bible. So the Bible instructed him, go south, and then he did it. In other words, if you were digging through God's word and you really got a strong sense that God's urging you to do something, are you obeying God through his word? It's too easy to say, well, yeah, I would do that if an angel talked to me. Let's just wipe the angel out right now. Let's just get straight into every one of our lives and say, if you're in God's word 
and you're allowing God's Spirit to move through your life, are you actually willing to act on that? Because I'll tell you what, that's what I battle every day of my life. It isn't that I don't have enough knowledge. I have enough Bible knowledge. And my guess is most of you have enough Bible knowledge. That's not the issue. You know what the issue is? Just doing what it says. How many of you, when you were a kid, got in trouble, not because you didn't have the knowledge of what your parents wanted you to do, you just didn't do it? You had, any, raise your hand if that relates to any. Good, 100%. I kind of thought so. You know, we all have the knowledge. That's not the issue. The issue is, are we willing to do this? Now, if he wasn't full of the Spirit, honestly, I think he may have gotten an argument with the angel. He'd been like, well, you really want me to go on this desert road? In the middle of the afternoon, I mean, let's work this through. You know, you haven't thought this out. Because as crazy as that is, I've had those conversations with God. Have you? God urged me to do something. I'm like, eh, really? You're, I'm not gifted in that. You ever use that excuse? God, I just, I don't feel that's my giftedness. And God's like, it, it doesn't matter what your giftedness is. If I've urged you to do something, I beg for you to do it. So what's going to come next is, and I love this, I love God's Word because it inspires me, it motivates me, and I think there are times it, it provides for us a strategy. So I'm going to provide for you, straight from the life of Philip, a strategy of how to share your faith. Because here's what I found over the years. So many people are like, I would love to share my faith, but you know what? That's not my job. That's the minister's job. Well, guess what? We're all ministers. We are all in this together, and we all, all have opportunities to share our faith, and that's all ages, have an opportunity to share faith, and so we're just going to talk about some practical ways to do that. Here's the first one. Number one is simply get in the Bible and get on your knees. Look at verse 26 again, and an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south. He obeyed the leading of the Lord. Now remember, they didn't have a Bible then. They didn't have a Bible like we have today. But what they did have was the Holy Spirit that we have today. And when he sensed a prompting, he was on his knees. So this morning, all of us had an opportunity. And I love what Jeff did is you have an opportunity to have somebody who needs the Lord and lay that person on your heart right now. And you just start praying, God, I just pray for an opportunity that I can share with this person who needs the Lord. And let God's Spirit do what God's Spirit does best. But here's the beauty. We do have God's Word, and God's Word still convicts us today. Would you agree with that? God's Word still moves us today. So let me give you an app on your phones. If you don't have this, I want to encourage all of you. It's called Version, and it's free, and you just go on, and if you've got all these apps on your phone, I, I really recommend Version has all these translations, but even on a Sunday morning here, you can pull up an NIV translation or whatever we share with you, and it's right there on your phone. It's just a great tool to have today is to get into God's Word and then get on your knees and see what God will do. Number two is simply this, verse 29 and 30. You've got to be willing to go. I love the fact that he gets this instruction, this prompting from the Holy Spirit, and then he goes. Now, here's what I think happens. This angel didn't say, now about 10 miles down the road, you're going to encounter this really crazy looking guy, and here's what you need. He didn't do that. He just says, here's what you need to do. The prompting is, you just go. 
And his willingness to go led him to this amazing encounter that we're going to talk about in just a moment. But his, his spirit was to go. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for green light Christians. He's looking for everybody in this room that has a willingness to go. I heard a true story, and I bet some of you can relate to this. How many of you have ever grown up way out in the country? Anybody here? Raise your hand if you're going. Okay, so you're going to get this. Okay. This family was way out in the country, had a, a five-year-old little boy, okay? And they moved in town, okay? And so they moved into town, got everything unpacked. You know how that's, that goes. That's like the longest day of your life. They get unpacked. Next morning, parents exhausted, five-year-old banging on the door saying, get up, get up, get up. You know, he's all excited. And the mom, you know, gets him dressed and says, now go out in the yard. Now, and here's where she got it wrong. Go out in the yard. Don't go too far. Now, don't go too far in the country means one thing than living in a neighborhood. Would you all agree with that? Agree. 20 minutes later, he comes in, and he is fired up. Mom, 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 you won't believe it. And she said, what? Everybody here has a doorbell, and all the doorbells work. <laughs> now, I love that because that's exactly how God's wired us. Man, get it after it. I, I tell you what I think frustrates God more than anything else is just this apathy like, Somebody else needs to do that. And God's like, yeah, that somebody else is you. You need to do that. This morning, I hope God is like just getting after you and getting after your heart. And I hope he has laid on your heart somebody who needs him, somebody who's down, somebody who spiritually is searching because we have an amazing opportunity. We just need to be willing to go. Now, Philip, when he went, and he's probably wondering, I wonder what's going to unfold because I serve a God who loves surprises, and he looks in the distance, and he sees this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, let me just share a little bit about the eunuch. To me, he's a very unique character. He is a dignitary, so I'm going to kind of give you the bullets. He's a dignitary. He's a distinguished official from Ethiopia. Matter of fact, he's working for the queen of Ethiopia. He was a treasurer. And he also, they think, was working for other royal women. And because of that, he was castrated. Now, here's where it gets weird. He was castrated in order to ensure that there would be no question of impropriety when he was in private with the queen or any of the workers of the queen. Now, we don't get that. Like, I'm reading that, and I'm like, now, that's commitment beyond measure. It really is. But what this guy is doing, the queen has granted him permission to travel to Jerusalem because he's spiritually searching. 1,200 miles he makes his journey to Jerusalem. And the scripture tells us he's on his way back. And he's still thoroughly confused. And he's trying to find God. And he has a scroll open. And Philip looks and he sees this guy's got a scroll open. And you notice what he does? He runs to this guy's chariot. He just runs. He, he gets it. It's like, now I know why I'm on this road. Now I know why it's great because it's just me and him. And this guy's opening up a scroll. He's searching and he is there. And he's like, you got to tell me what you're reading. Man, I love that attitude. Now look at verse 30. The story gets better. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. He heard that the man was reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? And then he allowed the man to talk. So here's the third thing that you all of us have to keep in mind. Ask good questions. So here's where I think the church makes a mistake sometimes. We have a tendency to lay a lot of information on people. So like when somebody's spiritually curious, here's the 17 scriptures you need to have memorized. 
and you need to roll that out. When you have a normal conversation with someone, do you have that much time? We used to have this thing called the Roman Road. Now, I don't know about you, but you're at work. Let's say you're in their lunchroom, and you have five minutes. And a guy comes in, and he's like, oh, my land, I, I see you go to church all the time. I got a couple of questions. Well, I'm glad you asked, brother. I'd like to walk you through the Roman road, thank you. You know, you get your, let me roll in the whiteboard, you know, and then we start diagramming this. Okay, is that reality? Let's be honest, is that reality? That is not reality. The reality is most conversations, if you're lucky, you'll have one or two minutes. We all know that. With my family members, over the years, I have spiritual conversations that usually are about 30 seconds at a time. They're seeds. But I have to be willing to ask questions. I can't tell you how important it is to ask questions. Jesus, in the book of Matthew alone, are you ready for this, asked 78 questions. In the book of Matthew alone. Now, how many of you here have preschoolers or preschooler grandchildren? Raise your hand. How many questions do they ask? You want to guess? 100 a day. They've surveyed this, 100 a day. And as they get older, they ask less questions. Questions are critical. Richard Saul Werman, who is the creator of TED Talks, said, the problem is in school, we reward answers, not asking good questions. So in other words, you're in preschool, you're asking 100 questions a day, you get into school, you're not rewarded for asking good questions, you're rewarded for answers. But we need to keep asking questions. You want to know where somebody is spiritually? You don't find out where they're at by telling them where you're at. You get there by asking good questions. And then you begin to find out where they're at. And if you're open to God's spirit, I'm telling you, it will happen every day of your life. We have in the back there a little booklet for you, and we're going to leave it out there for the next few weeks. And it's just called 99 Good Questions. And it's a little booklet we put together that came out of a, a great little book called God Space by Doug Pollock. 99 Great Questions. Just I want you to just do the summer, just kind of read through those and pray through those. You'll be surprised the opportunities you have to have these conversations. Uh, this morning with picnic, I went to pick up some hamburgers and hot dogs at Walmart. So I'm in a hurry. You ever had one of those? Like, I'd love to talk to you about Jesus, but honestly, I don't have time. You know, it's one of those. So I'm going through the line and I'm filing through everything. And, and the woman there, her name is Robin. And she says, um, oh, you must be having a big family reunion. And... Uh, and I could, I could sense God's spirit like, take a deep breath, talk. And so I said, well, it's interesting. It's not a family reunion. Uh, we're having a picnic at our church. And so she's bagging it. And all of a sudden she looks up. She goes, well, then I'm going to ask you the question. What's your favorite Bible story? And I'm like, wow, this is okay. So I said, I'm going to have to start with Jesus. <laughs> it's tough to beat Jesus. And I just love the resurrection because, you know, he gives us all hope. She goes, I'm, I love Mary and Martha. I'm kind of Martha. I go, really? I said, well, tell me about that. So she's like, well, I, I work too much. And, and she told me more about her story. And uh, now where everything's bagged up, the guy behind is looking like, this is weird. So anyway, we're bagging it all up. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, if you ever get a chance, honestly, I would love for you to come out. We're doing this thing at the Amvet building at 10 o'clock. And I'd uh, love to see you. And if it's okay, for, I'm going to pray for you, Robin. She had a little name tag. She goes, I really appreciate that. So today, just pray for Robin. But I thought as I left, man, if I would just be more spiritually sensitive, I would have conversations like that all the time. You know why? People spiritually are very curious. 
The problem is they have an idea what Christians are like. You know what their idea of Christians are? You're going to pull out a King James 40-pound Bible, and you're going to hit them upside the head with it, and you're going to judge them. That's what people think. But if you just talk to people normal, we'll be surprised how just a question to be interested really matters. Number four is, and this is huge, verses 31 through 44, is listen. Remember, Philip is being led by the Spirit. He's with this Ethiopian eunuch. He's opening up Isaiah, and it would be so easy for him to just start pouring it on. But he doesn't. Instead, he allows him to share what he's learning. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, I'm reading through this book of Isaiah, and I think he was reading from Isaiah 53 about the suffering Savior, and he's like, I don't get this. Why would God send his son, and then why would the world reject him? And he allowed him to just share the frustrations that he was having. And what I love is then Philip shows how interested he is in that person. I love what Dale Carnegie said. He said, you can close more business deals in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years trying to get people interested in you. So many times we start at the wrong point. You ever have somebody hijack a spiritual conversation or maybe you've observed it? In other words, somebody asks a spiritual question like, you know, I've really been hurting lately and um, gosh, would you pray for me? Prayer. I'm so glad you mentioned prayer because man, do I need prayer. And then they spend five minutes talking about themselves and you want to choke them. They're not here to talk about you. It's about them. And that's what I love in this situation. He is doing everything he can to say, I see you have questions. Go ahead. What questions do you have? And you know what? Here's the key. Sometimes we don't have answers. Sometimes you're sitting down with somebody, and they will ask something that is so hard, and you don't have an answer. I've had folks, especially when they're going through a tragedy, and they'll say, why has God allowed this to happen? Do you know the dumbest thing you can do is try to explain why you think that happened? Or they'll say, um, have you ever heard somebody say, I know you're going through a hard time. I know what you're going through. No, you don't. I was at a funeral just the other day, and the woman said, I'm so sorry you lost your mom. Now, this gal's 23. Her mom was 61. She goes, I know what you're going through, honey. I lost my mom. She was 97. And I go, you don't know what she's going through. Does that make sense? We see this all the time. So he's saying, this is so important. Not that you just ask good questions, but are you willing to invest? I saw a t-shirt, and it said this the other day. And I'm going to have you raise your hand if you've ever had this attitude. The t-shirt said, if I cared any less, I'd be invisible. Okay? How many of you have ever felt like that? Get your hands up. You're talking to someone, and as they're talking, you're like, if I cared any less, I'd be invisible. I mean, seriously, I don't care. Now, we don't want to admit that. But there are times that's how we feel. And that's honestly when we should sense God's leading, saying, no, no, you do need to care. You do need to listen. And then ultimately, number five is simply this, in sharing your faith, be prepared. I love verse 35, and it simply says this, Then Philip began with this very passage of Scripture, and he told him what? The good news of Jesus. He took him exactly where he was, and he said, man, I am so glad you're reading this scripture, and I got to tell you the good news about Jesus. Now, that was hard because he's like, you're absolutely right. They beat him. He, he was tortured. Actually, they murdered him, 
but he defeated death. And I want to tell you the great news of Jesus Christ. And what I love with this eunuch is the, the eunuch finally looked out and said, hey, there's a body of water. Man, let's just get this done. And they went out, and can you imagine that baptism that day? Now, I don't know where some of you are at this morning, but my guess is that there are some of you that you're having the same questions. Is I want to know where my place is with God. I want to know what I need to do. And I just want you to know that sometimes we try to overthink God. And it's interesting that that eunuch realized you've been talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and there's some water. Let's get that done first. And I share that with folks all the time. When they're wanting to take their first step in seeking out Christ, there's a reason when I share with them, I'd say, I want you to think about baptism. It doesn't mean you've got everything together. We never have it all together. But it's a starting point. It's a point for you to say, I need to surrender to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that may be where some of you are at. Some of you where you're at is you have friends right now, and they need the Lord. And I want you to put that friend at the top of your list this week. I want you to be praying for somebody who needs the Lord, because it's never too late to reach somebody for Jesus Christ. Um, you may have heard this phrase before, and if you haven't, I apologize, but it's called Six Degrees from Kevin Bacon. Anybody know what that even means? This was a Hollywood game that actually started in the early 80s, and it started with some actors. They gathered, and they said, you know what? If you take the most well-known actor, we're only about six relationships away from having contact with that actor because of agents and how everybody's network. And then it became actually an Internet phenomenon just took off, and people were like, you know, really, if you start talking, even people halfway around the world, if you just talk long enough, you'll probably find a connection or a network to get to that person about six relationships away. That's a pretty interesting thought. Now, I want to share with you a story that isn't six degrees from bacon, but I want you to think about how God works over our lifespan and other people's lifespan to make a huge impact. And then I want you to see that this all began with a spiritual conversation, okay? So I want to share some pictures with you. Maybe some of you have heard this. And th this is the set of folks here. The first one was Edward Kimball. Now, Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in the Boston area, very introverted. And he had high school students. So can you imagine being an introvert working with high school kids from Boston? Okay, think about that. And he just prayed, God, I'm, I'm in the deep end here, and I just want you to help me. And God kept laying on his heart this one rebellious 18-year-old kid. And he said, you just need to go talk to that kid. You just need to go talk to that kid. And everything in him was, that kid is out of control. He's, a, he's always the life of the party. He is everything I'm not. I'm not the right guy. And he worked in a shoe store, and he was talking himself out. I don't want to go there. I'm going to embarrass him, yada, yada. And literally stood in front of this, this shoe store, pleading with God not to make him go in. But he went in. And he talked to this young man, and he said, very briefly, you need Jesus Christ. And this kid said, you know what? Tell me more. It took about five minutes or so, and he told him more. And that young man was Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody then started crusades all over the world. And his influence influenced a man by the name of William Chamber, Chapman. Chapman then began preaching and teaching and reached another guy that was so far from God, 
was a Major League Baseball player, completely life out of control, named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday came to Jesus Christ, and he started crusades all over the United States. And all of a sudden, he reached a man by the name of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham went down to this little bitty tent revival in North Carolina, and there was a little teenage kid named Billy Graham, and he came to Jesus Christ. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. You all know this is true. Who's the hardest person to win to Jesus Christ in your life? You know who it is? Your own family, because they know you. And I heard Franklin Graham, Billy's son, say the hardest conversation he ever had was when Billy Graham, his father, not Billy Graham the evangelist, Billy Graham the father said, Franklin, i got to be honest with you. Everything you're into right now, you are headed for hell, and you're breaking my heart. You need Jesus Christ. And Franklin Graham said, that was the day I knew I needed Jesus Christ. Now, Franklin Graham, if you know the story, he's not a minister. He doesn't like to speak. He's not his dad. He started this little group called Samaritan's Purse. Maybe you heard of that. And we sat down with his dad. He said, I would love to oversee the organization, but I can't give up Samaritan's Purse. If you know anything about Samaritan's Purse, they take little shoe boxes all over the world, and uh, they deliver them to kids, and it's an amazing thing, especially in the Christmas season. So... Billy Graham delegates to his son, Franklin. Franklin takes these shoe boxes all over the world. This is where the story gets interesting. So a couple from Sherwood Oaks is delivering those shoe boxes in the Ukraine, the Lunds, and the Lunds adopt a little girl named Ankia. And Ankia from the Ukraine in June of 2009 was baptized at Sherwood Oaks. And this whole week, all I've been thinking about, you know how that all happened? That actually started with the guy standing in front of a shoe store who said, I don't know if I have the guts to go talk to that kid in that store. And you may say, it's not that easy. And here's the thing. It is. You never know who is one conversation away from accepting Jesus Christ. And God's waiting for you to do it. He's not waiting for somebody else. He's waiting for you to share, to say something. And all we need to pray for is the courage to do it. It starts with us. We're going to have a, a song in just a moment. And as we sing this song, I'd like to ask the elders and the wives if they would come up here. And here's why. Some of you, number one, may have never accepted Christ as your Savior. And every week you know that's open. And some of you, here's where you're at. God has laid somebody on your heart, and you just need to pray about it. And so we want to be with you to pray with you. Also, we want you to know after the service, we're still going to be here to pray. We're still going to be here to pray with you because this really is important that we learn not just to share our faith, but to have people who need Christ on our hearts. Okay? So we're going to have some folks to come up to pray with you as we stand and as we sing.